ourselves to its to our fullest potential. None of us are living up to all that we can be. Can you imagine what would occur if we left this room today with a determination to go out of here and make it happen? If we would even do all that we know to do, to say nothing of the many things that are accessible to us to learn, this world would know that we had been here when we leave. I ponder this problem daily. It churns in my soul because I see embodied in each of you a tremendous gift of life, ability, potential that is unfulfilled, unchallenged, and useful only to a small percentage of what it really could be. I am constantly reaching, searching for some way to bring to fruition the many capabilities and the potential that is lying dormant, latent, if you will, in the souls, in the bodies, and in the minds of the women of the United Pentecostal Church. Talking about a sleeping giant, we are a sleeping giant. There are very few women in our fellowship that are as active as they could be in many respects. And if there is some way that we could mobilize the women of our fellowship, we could make an impact on this world for Jesus Christ. In my search for answers, in my attempt to realize our full potential in the work of God, I am drawn to the scripture that is written in Proverbs 23, 7. It is what one might call a truism. The word of God says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. So after much observation, after talking with thousands of individuals over a period of 30 plus years in the ministry, I have come to the conclusion that this scripture, while I had no reason not to believe it, is true in every sense of the word. As you think in your heart, that's how you are. No generation that has ever lived in the history of the world has been as blessed as this generation that we are a part of. Never before has such keen perception, brilliant reasoning, deducible fact been available to anyone who has enough gumption to get up and seek it instead of sitting around wishing for it.
we have inherited by virtue a several reasons for this tremendous opportunity. Not as people who are just preachers, teachers, evangelists, school principals, supervisors, monitors, wives, mothers, housekeepers, students, musicians, soul winners. We have inherited from several areas a tremendous set of circumstances which has set the stage and has removed from us certain hindrances provided for us one of the most fabulous opportunities to make a mark in this world for God that any generation has ever known. Girls, if we don't make it, we are left without an excuse. Even the secular attitude and the change in the social structure has provided for us an opportunity to lurch to the forefront and make our presence in this world be felt for Jesus Christ. A vocal woman does not have to be obnoxious. A woman that has the ability to have an impact on those that she moves around and with does not have to be detestable. She can be admired, she can be respected, and she can truly change things if she would just take a few lessons, read a little, pray a lot. You are a tremendous influence on somebody. You have your own circle of friendship. You have your own area of impact. Somebody will listen to you. When you speak, someone will listen. Use it to the greatest extent possible for positive and for good and for Jesus Christ. Many of the things that were problems years ago are not problems today. Many hurdles that the old timers had to get over are not present today. We have inherited a tremendous opportunity. The giants in every field of human endeavor have bequeathed their knowledge to us. We live in an age of ever-present past and we have inherited permanent truths that are forever implanted and they do not diminish with age. Upon them you can build. We have a solid foundation. The baton has been passed to us in a crisp handoff. We have it in our hands. Today is ours. This is our finest hour. When it comes to this truth, you can build on it. Doctrinally speaking, you have everything one could desire. You have biblical truth. You have something that will give you strength 
in the time of storm. You have a solid foundation under your feet. And although the rest of the world may be sinking around you, you can with that old hymn writer sing, On Christ the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. If you've ever longed for something solid to stand on, if you've ever reached for something of a permanent nature, something that is not transitional, something that's not faddish, something that just doesn't come and go, with the ebb and flow of time and tide, I'd like to tell you that you can preach and teach this glorious truth to everyone you meet and you don't have to apologize to anybody for it. Don't ever hang your head in shame. When they ask you what church do you go to and why your hair is long and your face is pale, Hold your head up high. Meet them with a smile. And don't mumble behind your teeth on Pentecostal. <laughs> Let them know who you are. And do it with pride. <laughs> the world's looking for girls like you. You are a breath of fresh air out there. People love it when they meet somebody that actually looks like they could be trusted. <laughs> we have a tremendous opportunity. How wonderful it is. I wonder what could happen if we ever really put our shoulder to the wheel and lived to our fullest potential. I'd like to talk to you this afternoon about some facts, some principles, and some concepts that I feel provides for us a very good format from which to build a life. The scripture provides the basic setting for this entire session and in that I have read the scripture from Proverbs, I think I should like to choose that thought as a man, or in this case a woman, thinketh in his heart, as a woman thinketh in her heart, so is she. For several thousand years, from the ancient Egyptian tidal measurements of the Nile to the present-day telemetering of the controls in the modern satellite programs, the advance of science has been so spectacular, we have marveled at the wonder of man's scientific progress. Yet the greatest intellectual advancement of all time has not been with mechanical things. It has been within the mind of man itself, himself. Do you realize that when Daniel prophesied that in the last days knowledge shall be increased, that it put us in that generation of time where the ability for men and women to produce mentally 
supersedes comprehension. Singling out the high-tech field alone, the computer age, and some of the greatest brains in the world that live in the Silicon Valley in California have come up with some unbelievable feats in technology. And always remember, when you sit down to that computer, when you experience the results of what happens with computers, they didn't come into being by themselves. It was men and women that out of their brains thought these things up and figured them out and produced them. Can you imagine now? We look at computer technology in awe and we wonder at the machine. It's not the machine that I wonder at. It's the mind of the man that made it, that thought it up and figured it out that has me baffled. Knowledge has been increased. I can only believe it's a gift of God. To accommodate Daniel's prophecy. And it's a sign that Jesus is coming soon. Sometimes we look at the invention and we ignore the fact that human ingenuity is what was behind it. But that same kind of improvement in the intelligence of man is present within your own mind today and being. God didn't give somebody else any more sense than he gave you, but somehow some people laid hold on a little more initiative to pull it out and use it. He gave you the same 24 hours a day that he gave to me. I don't have more time than you, nor do I have less. We all have equal doses of time. So it is not the gift of time. It's not the gift of brain. It's not the opportunity that's presented that dictates what a man or a woman is, what they are, what they come to be or shall be. The responsibility lies within your initiative as to what you're going to do with what you've been given. Some girls will serve dinner on a Formica countertop. Others will go to enough trouble to put it on the table. A bare tabletop, while someone else will be a little more ingenious and pull out a plastic placemat. And then there are those who will lay down a nice linen cloth. But then there are those few who will add the touch of fresh flowers and candles who wouldn't think of serving a platter of meat without a touch of parsley. And the contrast is drawn between the gal that'll serve dinner out of the pot on the stove and the one who'll set the table and create the atmosphere. Same roast, 
same supermarket. But the way it's served up sure does make a lot of difference. We are as varied as the colors of the rainbow, aren't we? And the quality of your existence and the effectiveness of your life depends on your willingness to get up and get after it and apply yourself to knowledge. Of course you weren't born with all of those ideas, but you can read, can't you? How do you learn to arrange things on a nightstand beside a bed? How do you put books in a bookcase? You can look at pictures, can't you? There's a little monkey-see-monkey-do in all of us. But it's the gal that's willing to go after it that'll get the job done. And so, when all of our spiritual experience revolves only around what happens around the church and our little bit of Bible reading, we have no fruit, we have no product, we have no benefit, and we do not grow, we become stagnant, and we become so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good, and then we have to go away to conventions like this so somebody can kick us in the seat of the pants and get us going again. Amen? Amen. Prayer is necessary. Bible reading is necessary. What happens at your altar is necessary. But it can't stop there. I could stand here and motivate you to do things, <clears throat> but if your motivation is simply instructional and inspirational, it won't last until you get the car started and pull out of the parking lot out there. But if what you give to the hands of God here and what you consecrate to Him here and what you dedicate to Him here becomes a goal and a, an objective, a purpose. When you go out of here, you're going to do the things you promised God you would do. Then you're going to begin to see the results and you'll become a faithful Christian and you'll begin to say, I have been something for God and I can be more. A man that tells his wife that he loves her and then ignores her all of the time is hard to believe. A woman that says to her husband, I love you, darling, and then ignores him the other 23 and three-fourths hours of the day is just talking. But yet we can come to church and come to meetings like this and say, Lord, I love you and I want to serve you and I want to be something and do something for you. And then we just go back and just get right back into our old ruts. We're just talking to hear our heads rattle. After a point, it becomes mocking circumstances and we make fools of ourselves and we become hypocrites. This concerns me. If this church could ever put wheels, legs, arms, mouths, ears, nose, and eyes on everything we say that we're going to do for God, can you imagine what we could do? May God help us to stop lying to ourselves and kidding others 
and let's do as we say we want to do. You carry within you the seeds and potential for greatness. But you'll never give birth to any lofty goal until you begin. You carry within you, just as every woman carries within her biologically normal body, the potential to bear children. But you'll never see its face, you'll never hear its cry until you go through a set of certain circumstances which include patience and labor, weeping and pain, reading and learning and applying the hand to practice. Eventually, you'll give birth to that child and that which was nothing more than a gleam in its father's eye is now visible and audible. Today, within the bosom of many people sitting in this room are dreams and visions. There are young single girls that have come to this meeting. The Holy Spirit has dealt with your heart and you've been challenged and inspired to do something with your life. Lying within you are the seeds of greatness. You can be anything you want badly enough to be. Sometimes we just say things. We desire noble dreams. But we must learn to continue beyond that, to carry that dream, to carry that desire, carry that burden, to implement it, and to give birth to it through agony and pain, through prayer, through fasting, Working, doing, putting our mouth, our feet, our person where our words were. In other words, giving body and action to the things that we've only said. Then we'll begin to realize and taste the fruit of our labor. Thus, through human thoughts, thoughts that are in alignment with the Word of God, you can design a plan of victory for your life. Let this mind be in you that was in Christ. Every day he lived, every step he took, every word he spoke, every action he made, as a wave of every hand, movement, the direction of his eyes, the path that he walked upon had purpose. He didn't go to Calvary the day he was born, but in his own mind and heart he knew where he was headed. He didn't go to Calvary the day he stood in the temple, but somehow he knew. He stood and he talked to the disciples. He admonished them that he would not always be with them. He made statements like, For this cause came I into the world. And there was always a note that could be detected in everything that he said. Purpose, direction, positiveness, certainty. All of these things had its effect on his nature and his activity. That essential truth of the scriptures in Proverbs 23, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Not only embraces the whole of a person's being, but it is so comprehensive as to reach out to every condition and circumstance of his life. As a man thinketh in his heart, that's what he is. That's what he becomes. 
Now, I could spend a long time right here, but let me just pause to give you an illustration. A person that thinks jealous thoughts in her heart, for example, is always defensive of his position. A person who is a thief assumes that everyone else is not to be trusted. An individual who lies will not believe things that other believable people say. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. His thinking, your thinking, my thinking is an expose of what he is. If a man is unfaithful to his companion, he suspects that everyone else is and is not surprised. So it's not only a matter of the heart that's in jeopardy, it's a matter of the mind and the thought pattern that's jeopardized by erroneous or wrong thinking or bad thinking. It is the atmosphere and the conditions around that individual that are affected by the way he thinks. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. That's the kind of person that he is. The atmosphere in a home is set by the way parents think. The way children are is a direct result of what parents have thought. In most instances, children mirror their parents. They are reflections of the atmosphere in which they grow. Maybe there are a few exceptions, but very few. If you don't like what your child is, take another look. Looks like a rerun, doesn't it? They are reflections of the atmosphere in which they've grown. And we find that very hard to accept when our children go sour, when they do things that displease us. And we're not brave enough to say it. But I had a mother recently stand with tears streaming down her face as she wrung her hands about her 17-year-old daughter. And she said to me, as if in confession, such a trout, she's just like I was when I was seven. If we're honest with ourselves, in the privacy of our minds, we can dig around in the closed and locked closets and find enough garbage to substantiate this truism. And the fact remains, a person is literally what they think. Your character, your being, the complete sum of you as a person can be traced back to your mind. You are the master of your thoughts. Don't blame God. Don't blame parents. Don't blame home. Do not blame husband. And believe it or not, don't even blame the devil. 
You reign supreme over your brain. You determine what comes in, what goes out. You alone hold the key to your mind. There are influences brought to bear, but when you don't want to believe something, honey, you're not going to believe it. When you don't want to hear it, nobody can pound it in there. Mother can talk till she's blue in the face that you need to drop that rascal like a hot potato. And when you don't want to hear it, you don't hear it. And yet when you suspect something, someone can come along in the slightest little insinuation. You grab it like it's a confirmation of what you knew all the time. You are master over your brain. You alone control your thoughts. Do not be manipulated. Do not be bombarded. Do not become imprisoned and enslaved to influences. Be an individual. Don't believe everything you hear. Don't receive everything that is said. Be selective in what you let in your cranium. Because whatever goes in there is the matter of which your life is comprised. Your thinking, your mind, the way your thought patterns run, dictate, dominate your entire existence. Whatever you are is a direct result of what happens right here. And when you get that cleaned up, you'd be surprised how much else of your life will suddenly take order. When you sweep down the cobwebs and throw out the garbage and clean out the debris and open the windows and let the breath of the Holy Ghost blow through there and clear the dust and the dingy shadows out of your brain, you'd be surprised how quickly the rest of your life takes order. There are so many things happening in your life right now that you can't get your hands on and you can't control and you can't change and you're so frustrated you don't know if you're going or coming. And all of these things are mere symptoms. If you can zero in on what happens between your ears and get that straightened up and cleaned up and set in order, it really doesn't matter a great deal what happens out here as long as everything is okay in here. Peace that passeth all understanding. This is the one stage where you are the star actor. It's the one play where you are the single person it is the one speech where you are the only voice. And nobody, including the devil, can dictate your thoughts. Even he cannot make you think what you do not want to think. You can refuse it. You can turn it out, turn it away, refuse to let it in. You have that prerogative. 
But so many women act so defenseless and they get run over roughshod and are victimized by the voice of the enemy. You don't have to believe what he tells you. Furthermore, don't believe everything else you say. Because you'll lie to yourself and go away believing it. You'll think, well, you know, I wouldn't lie to myself, would I? If I were to say it, you wouldn't believe me. You say it to yourself and you know it's the truth because you thought it. Your mind is your personal and private domain. It's your kingdom. You alone rule upon its throne. You make the laws. You rescind them. You are the police that monitors the entrance and exit of thoughts. You and you alone, alone are to be blamed for what you think. Nobody can make you think anything that you don't want to think. You have that prerogative. Somebody came to me recently and said, Sister Trout, so-and-so is having an affair. Was a well-known man, high in educational circles, a name that many of you would readily recognize. No, he's not UPC. And when they announced the news to me, my response was as follows. I'm sorry, I do not believe that. And they said, oh, yeah, I mean, really, it's really true. You know, so-and-so told me and so-and-so told her. I said, I'm sorry, I don't care who told who. I said, I'll believe it when the man is standing before me and he says to me, Janet, it's true. And then I'll believe it and wonder about it then. I said, I'm sorry, I don't believe it. I later found out that it was a lie. It was a frame up. It was a staged job to ruin his career and his effectiveness in God's work. Nobody can make you believe anything you don't want to believe. And until you reach a place in your self-discipline where you're willing to throw the yoke on your mind and put a harness on it and put the bit in its mouth and yank the reins good, it's going to continue to run rampant and serve destruction to everything it comes near. Your thoughts, your mind is a chamber in which no one, and I repeat, no one can enter without your permission, including the devil. If you accept thoughts that are negative, that are anti-Philippians 2, if they come in there, it's because you let them in. Most of the time they enter because you're standing at the door watching for something to substantiate another thought that should have been let in to begin with, shouldn't have been let in to begin with. And uh, he's there lurking in the corner waiting for documentation and substantiation. His name is Suspicion and he's waiting for I told you so to arrive. I propose that 99.9% .9 of depression, mental agony, discouragement, your throw-in-the-towel syndrome, your sick-and-tired-of-it-all situation, 
would come to an abrupt halt if you would put screeching brakes on the mind patterns. Post a guard at the door, throw away everything that's not right, clean house, and I mean clean house, good and proper. And you're wondering what I mean by that? I'm talking about a good old-fashioned prayer meeting. You just got to do it every now and then. Things creep in, they hide in the corners, and I let them in, I have to admit it. I left the door open. I should not have left it unguarded. Nevertheless, they came in, and after a bit, I see this accumulation and that accumulation. And then I notice I'm reacting to certain things in certain ways, and I'm starting to wonder, why am I this and why am I that? And I'll stop and look around, and I'll think to myself, how in the world did I let myself get in this condition? And then I realize that I've permitted the entrance of certain thoughts in my mind that are negative. They're unsubstantiated. They are suspicious in origin. And sometimes they are evil. And so I have to go and clean house and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. And when I get reckless on my knees, every devil in hell better take to his heels and get going because when I've had enough of that stuff and get tired of being drug around and I stomp my foot and say, Knock it off! Watch out, devil! Standing in the shower. You know, minds don't get wet. They run wet or dry. <laughs> and standing in the shower, I'm shampooing and showering, and my brain is just going, whiz, 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 turn, 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 this circumstance, that circumstance, names, places, things, people, and, and, and the, the weight gets heavier. And I begin to see a pattern developing. And things are coming to me. And, and as, I, as they come to me, I'm feeling lower and down more. And, and I, then I, suddenly I wake up and I realize what's happening. And I realize it's the voice of the enemy. And I've let him in. And honey, if you just leave the door cracked a little bit, he'll come in. He's like a mouse. He can come through the whole size of a nickel. And when I realize who has arrived on the scene and who's standing in that shower with me, I stomp my foot and I say, In Jesus' name, get out! Now listen, I'm going to promise you one thing. There is power in Jesus' name. And when your mind is just whirring like a whirly gig and you can't stop it and... Things are tumbling in the inside of you and your emotions are going out of control and you feel yourself like you've been thrown onto an escalator on a downhill roll and you can't seem to get control of this thing. Stop where you are and say it out loud. In Jesus' name! <laughs> Sister Barnett, I have experienced it. I have felt the Holy Ghost moving and it was like the curtain just dropped. It's like the voices went silent, like the vacuum appeared, and you wonder where in the world it got to so fast. And the spirits start to lift. 
We suffer at the hand of the devil and ourselves far more than we should. There is victory in Jesus' name. There is victory in Jesus' name. Do not be victimized by your thoughts and your emotions and circumstances. You can rise above them and have victory in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. You get sick and tired of it enough, you'll do it. You get tired being down and out and depressed and discouraged and you finally sit up and say, what in the world is going on here? Beat it for the door, close the door, fall on the floor and start waging war on your knees. There's been times I've walked through my, my house when I get upset at myself, things or others or the devil, the greatest thing I can do is go find me a scrub bucket because, honey, I can scrub walls. I can take wax off of floors. I mean to tell you, take the dust out of the crevice in the bricks. You better believe you talking about house cleaning. Get me upset good and proper and my house never looked better. <laughs> and I'll wash dishes and rub windows and polish silver and pray and cry and you talking about... And when it's all over, I not only have a good dose of the victory, but my house is clean. <laughs> Put all that energy to work. Just get after it. Get going. And when you're through, you'll be so glad. Then you see, have your spring cleaning all behind you. <laughs> your mind may be likened to a garden which may be intelligently cultivated or allowed to run wild. It's up to you. Whether neglected or cultivated, it must and it will bring forth fruit. And that's a subtle fact. No useful seeds are put into it, then you're going to have an abundance of useless weeds. And it will produce after its kind. So you're going to have to be careful what kind of seeds are dropped into the garden of your mind. Be very careful. Watch the company you keep. And the old cliche a little bird told me is a dangerous thing. You can get in trouble when you listen to the birds. Standing in front of my house one day, speaking to a neighbor friend of ours who is one of the head state police officers in the state of Delaware. My husband raises Arabian horses and he and... Mr. Pepper are very good friends because Mr. Pepper is a horse lover too. So he had come over to visit us and we were standing near the front talking and um, I glanced over and saw this tall weed. It was about this high. It, it looked so out of place and because there was a lovely set of boxwood shrubs along there and I couldn't figure out where that ugly weed came from you just they just appear you know in the summertime and so I casually walked over and I didn't want to make a big deal out of it the three of us are standing there talking and I took my foot and just put it against the plant and and pressed it over and I thought I'll pull it out later and then he and my husband were chatting so I reached over pulled it up out of the ground and thought I walked unnoticed by him to just throw it out in the edge of the yard and Jerry stopped and said 
Janet, you know what that is, don't you? And I said, no. He said, it's marijuana. This guy's the head of the state police. I said, boy, wouldn't that make big news? State Police Sergeant Jerry Pepper arrests Pastor Wayne Trout for growing marijuana in his front yard. Headlines. Can't you see it now? I said, you've got to be kidding. He said, no, bring it here. Let me show you. And so I brought it up. Big, tall marijuana plant. I said, how did it get here? I was embarrassed. He said, the birds brought it by. He said, whether you know it or not, the house right down the street and on the right. The guy's been in trouble more than once for growing marijuana in his yard. I said, you're kidding. And he said, the, fly, the birds just fly and drop the seeds. Need I say more? I sure was glad he understood. I'm glad he knew how it got there because so you watch the little birdie that tells you things and don't let people dump their garbage in your mind you command the soul of your being out of which your circumstances grow the soul attracts that which it secretly harbors all the man thinketh in his heart so is he the soul attracts that. Light begets light, each after its own kind. Like begets like. And so if you harbor, if you harbor in your mind things that do not belong there, they will attract like a magnet those kind of things which they love and things will begin to occur that are not good. And so circumstances then evolve, but circumstances do not make a person. It simply reveals the person. Circumstances will bring out what is already in you. You do not become certain things on certain days. The character of your being is in place at all times. But day-to-day -day circumstances surround you and they simply illuminate your weaknesses or your strengths. I have seen women put in most extenuating set of circumstances and I have seen as a result that, uh, in their church, but those same people uh, that criticize them are also running 15 and 20. And you know there are some people that are deaf, dumb, and blind. You got to be pretty far off track to be running 20 in your church for 10 years and criticize somebody that's built a church of 1,500 people. There's another name for it, but I shall not use it here. They say principles don't count, but let me tell you this. Theories and ideas are foundations and principles that are written in the Bible. There are theories and ideas that must be converted into some kind of results. So you take the theory and the idea and then you apply the energy principle. And the energy principle is what I'm calling motivation. 
Now, if you don't like the word motivation, then use another phrase. Call it energy principle. It's all the same thing. The theory or the idea says, Johnny, go clean your room up. The energy principle says, if you don't, I'll bust your bottom. <laughs> if you want to get philosophical, that's motivation. There are three different ways to motivate or three different ways motivation can work as an energy source. Number one, it helps us to do the things that we did not do before. To get anything done, you're going to have to get motivated. Now, what's wrong with that? Unless you're lazy. A ship is safe in harbor. It's true. Doesn't have to worry about the high seas. Doesn't need a navigator. Most people are content to rest in the harbor of God's love. No storms on the high seas. But I want you to take note, too, that that ship will never deliver goods to another harbor. It'll never pick up a passenger. It'll never transfer it to another part of the world. And so if you want to dock your little ship in a harbor and stay safe from the storm, you go ahead, sweetheart. You're just as welcome as the flowers in May to do that. I love you, and you can stay right there in that little warm, cozy place if you want to, and I'll hug you and pat you on the back and say, God bless you, lift you up, and help carry you along when you get all down and out. But not me. I know the harbor's warm, and I know it's safe, and I know it's pretty, and I know it's nice, and I know it's enjoyable, and all those things. But you're looking at one lady that wants to get the ship out of the harbor and onto the high seas. I want to deliver the goods. I want to pick up the passengers. I want to bring some back. I want movement. I want action. I want results. A person who prefers not to be motivated never makes any waves and they won't accomplish anything. People do not like to get involved because they do not like to become controversial. Nobody ever pleased everybody all the time. You're not going to do it whether you're doing anything or not. So you might as well do something anyhow. The person who's willing to take a risk, not a chance, I said, a risk. There is a difference. You take a chance when you play the lottery. You take a risk when you launch out to do something for God and go places. The best is yet to be. The ability to be the unique personality that every one of you have, different, every individual in your own right. Your success is determined by the way you, your individual personality is developed in relationship to your talent. The scripture teaches us that it's not wise to compare yourselves among yourselves. You're not trying to mark up to my standards. You can't go away from this meeting and try to be another sister trout. I don't recommend that that you would even attempt to try to keep my pace. Forget that. You probably wouldn't live a week. <laughs> but if that's what I want to do, leave me alone and let me go. Somebody said, you're going to die young. Don't worry about it. I can guarantee you when I die young, well, I'm, I'm not going to die young. It's too late for that. <laughs> Just don't get in my way. And don't think you have to do it like I do it. Remember that you have the unique ability to be in relationship to the talents God gave you. God gave you an individual personality. He gave you individual talents. And you are only in competition with what God gave you. Now when you can measure up to what God gave you, then you're going to start cooking with gas.
Don't compare yourself to other women and don't try to be like other women. Just be all you can be. That's all right. Give yourself a hand. We do not want a stereotype church. We do not want cookie-cutter women. You know what I mean. All I'm asking for you to do is look around and see what God put in you and then get to work on it. You can do some things I can't do. The strength of a person's effectiveness does not depend upon their total ability within themselves. The strength of their effectiveness depends on their ability to draw to themselves the strength of others. One of the things that I have practiced perpetually in our leadership training in the college and in the operation of our staff of 30-odd people there. I don't mean the people are odd, but 30-some people (laughs) there in the school in Dover and in the churches is that not just one church. We pastor two churches, one of about 550, another one of 350, and they're 50 miles apart, plus an academy and a college. And my husband's district superintendent and and uh, like he didn't have anything to do, he also likes to build a little bit. He builds houses and other buildings. And I do interior decorating and fly all over the country. We just have a great life. It's a great life if you don't weaken. <laughs> but one of the things that strengthens the network there is the fact that there are areas of expertise that are widespread, you see, and what someone is good at, another person is not so good at. And so you gather together the strengths from all those areas. I cannot do many of the things that are done on my staff from day to day. But I gather around me people who are very good at those things and then I let them do it, ask them to do it, and trust them to do it. And God help them if they don't do it. (laughs) I don't have that kind of problem. I'm just kidding. You can talk to people that I'll never reach. You'll touch people I'll never meet. To each his own. Some people climb mountains. Personally, I have no desire to be a mountain climber. Some people are motivated to write books. Some people are motivated to start churches or build churches. Others are motivated to sit around and do nothing but criticize those who do. So you see, there's talent in all of us. Motivation is that source of energy that gets us off dead center. Let me reiterate, it's not what you have that counts. It's what you do with what you have. Hallelujah. If every one of you that can teach home Bible studies would just go do it. It is not a lack of knowledge. It's a lack of get up and get out there and get after it. When are you going to start? Next week? Tomorrow? Next year? You said that last year. The most talented person in the world accomplishes absolutely nothing unless he puts his talents to work. Putting the energy principle to work. Motivation. Achievement. Motivation. 
There's a lot of books on it. I've done a lot of reading about it. Granted, if there's any one thing I do is read a lot of books about management and motivation. I'm still trying to learn everything that I can get my hands on. Lots of books, lots of methods of achievement, motivation relative to the business world and corporate management. But the one thing I have gleaned from all of this reading and that I can relate very well to this concept, and that is that when you set up goals, you don't look behind you. You don't look at the past. You look at the future. If any one of us looked at the past, we wouldn't do anything. It's too discouraging. So when you set your goals, you don't set your goals in relationship to what you were or what you did or did not do yesterday. You look ahead. You don't even look around. That can be discouraging too. You look forward. Close the door on yesterday. It's done. It's gone. It's said. You can't retrieve it. You can't change it. You can't go back and fix it. You can't mend it. So forget it. Start now. Look at the future. Set yourself a timetable. Set some standards. Get hard on yourself. And get after it. Remember that every saint has a past. But every sinner has a future. Hallelujah. We know we do not have to depend on what we were or what it was like in order to achieve our goals. This marvelous thing of God's grace and God's forgiveness covers all of that. What you were yesterday has absolutely nothing to do with your potential for tomorrow. You can rise above it. You can make it in spite of it. You can do it. There's no other circumstance in the world that can afford that liberty but in the church of God. When you walk into any business or institution to seek employment, the first thing they're going to ask you for is a resume. And the next thing they want to know is why you left your last job. So your past follows you wherever you go in the business world. But when it comes to working in the kingdom of God, you can pull out a fresh sheet of paper every morning and start to write all over again. You can be fruitful. You can bar and lock the door on yesterday. You don't have to make reference to what you were. Nobody's allowed to go back there and drag up anything and say you can't do this because of that. The Apostle Paul said after giving that list of awful things that he named, he said, and such were some of you, but you are washed, you are clean, hallelujah, you are sanctified. You are justified. It's a new day. It's a new beginning, a new genesis. You can start all over. So you failed. So you made a mistake. So you threw in the towel. So you gave up. That was yesterday. All right. Okay, so you did. What's the big deal? You're not dead, are you? There's nothing fatal but the grave. As long as there's life, there's hope. Get up. Stop wallowing and crying and using flimsy excuses for not doing something about it. Get up. Start all over. Padlock the door on yesterday. Forbid even your self-entrance back there. You've got no business snooping around in yesterday's things. Turn your face into the wind and let the sun shine on your brow and head in the general direction 
of accomplishment. You can do it. You can do it. Get hold of this thing and let's do something for God. We can be different tomorrow than we were today because we've had today to practice. Nothing can be more important to you in all of this than self-confidence. That's a measure. It's your measure of your ability to perform a task. When we believe we can accomplish something, we see good results. And you'll have the confidence to do it again next time. There are certain aspects of work that don't bother me in the least. No problem. Just bring them on. One hand tied behind me. I don't mind in the least. Just get after it and get going. There are things that you can do. You can do well. You need that self-confidence to do it again and again. All the circumstances that come together to make things happen did so because somebody put them together. Nothing in life is automatic. Nothing in this life... Oh, dear God, I get so disgusted with people who sit around and wring their hands because things are like they are, and yet they have never lifted a little finger to change anything or to try to make themselves to be improved or to look better or to feel better or to act better. They've never read one book on self-improvement. They haven't changed their way of fixing their hair or walking or dressing in 40 years. And they're sitting around crying because things are like they are. Why don't you do something about it? And stop sitting around waiting for everybody else to do something about you. Honey, ain't nobody going to worry with you. They got their own problems. If you ever make it, it'll be because you got up and got on your feet and did it. If you ever accomplish anything, it'll be because you set your mind to read the how-to books and to cram your little brain full of as many things as you can and act on every one of them and get out there and make things happen. Stop relying on other people so much and being so dependent. Now, don't misunderstand me. I am very dependent upon a lot of people. I hope you understand that. But I also believe that you can't measure and gauge your speed by somebody else's speedometer. If they want to go 35 miles an hour, it's like old brother Mangan told a policeman one time. A cop stopped him in Alexandria. He was going uh, 55 miles an hour in a 35-mile speed zone. And the policeman knew him. He said, Brother Mangan, you're going to have to slow down. He said, do you realize how fast you were going? You were going 55 and 35. He said, my God, man, I can't save this world going 35 miles an hour. Don't set my accelerator by your speedometer. And don't try to set yours by mine. It'll blow a gasket. (laughs) Be yourself. Nothing happens accidentally. Things are there because somebody put it together. Somebody set this table. Somebody put these chairs here. Somebody hung this wallpaper. Somebody put the lights, somebody put the mortar in the brick. Somebody, somebody, somebody did it, did it, did it, did it. Nothing just came into being. Somebody did it. Somebody did it. Thoughts of positive faith will displace negative thoughts of fear that have been holding you back. If the church doesn't grow, it's not because of the losers or the lazies didn't do anything. It's because the doers didn't. In conclusion, I'd like to talk to you about your mind. 
When Satan wanted to leave his evil influence upon the human race, he led the first man and woman into sin, and the first thing he did was attack her mind. 2 Corinthians 11.3 says, I'm afraid lest as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your mind should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Why would the devil want to attack your mind? Because your mind is the part of the image of God where he communicates with you and reveals his will to you. It's not in your thumbnail. It's not in your big toe. It's not in your eyeball. It's in your brain. Your mind is where God communicates with you and reveals his will to you. You are made in the image of God and his likeness he created you and it is in your mind that he communicates with you. So when Satan wants to prohibit this activity, he doesn't give you a black eye. He doesn't step on your toe or break your arm. What does he do? He doesn't kick you in the shins. He doesn't punch you in the stomach. He doesn't hit you across the head. He very simply, quietly, and subtly attacks your mind because that's where you communicate with God. If he can somehow abort or break this line of communication... He won't have to give you a black eye. He won't have to punch you in the stomach, kick you in the shins. You'll do all of that to yourself, all by yourself. He just attacks your mind and you do the rest. It's unfortunate that some people have minimized the significance of the mind because the Bible does emphasize its importance. Paul wrote to the Colossians in 3, 9, and 10, Do not lie to one another since you've laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the one who created him. Paul said to Ephesians 4, 17, 24, This I say, therefore, and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles walked in the futility of their mind being darkened in their understanding, excluding from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, they having become calloused have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life you lay aside the old self, which being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The spirit of your mind needs renewing and put on the new self which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Then Paul wrote to the Romans and he said, I, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So God renews our mind. He renews our minds through his truth this truth of the Word of God. John 17, 17, Jesus is praying, Sanctify them in the truth. Thy Word is truth. So if Satan can get you to believe a lie, then he'll work in your life to lead you into sin. The mind is where it all starts, and that's why he attacks your mind. You must protect your mind from the attacks of the wicked one.
Philippians, Paul wrote chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever is true, whatever is honest, right, pure, lovely, of good report, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Paul is saying if it's not true, don't let it in. In recent years, science has discovered many fascinating things about the human mind. They say it's like a computer. Your mind can store facts and impressions and even emotions and recall them for years later. Your mind can reach into the past and through your memory, you can retract and pull up things that happened when you were a child. It can reach into the future through your imagination. Your thinking affects your feeling. It affects your will. For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. The doctor says you are what you eat. The Bible says you are what you think. The devil knows this tremendous power of the mind, and that is why he tries to capture it for himself. The prophet Isaiah said, 26.3, The steadfast of mind thou wilt keep in perfect peace, because he trusts in thee. Paul said to the Romans in 8.6, For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. And so your mind affects your entire being. While I do not totally agree with success psychology and the so-called healing psychology of our day, I must admit that attitudes are important to your physical health and success in life. The exciting new field of holistic medicine draws upon the influences of the mind to help the patient cure himself, but that has some areas that are suspect too. Questions are there. Holistic medicine right now is out on the wait and see list for me. It um, has a little bit too much of Sigmund Freud in it. And so I go back to the good book that says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If you can close your mind, close your eyes, and think in your heart, and look around, you should get a pretty accurate appraisal of what you are. And when you finish that, you can say, as the Apostle Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. My prayer to God in these closing moments this afternoon is that the breath of the Holy Ghost will sweep across this room and every person sitting in here will leave with a renewed mind. You should by now have a vague idea of the kinds of things that are permitted in there and the kinds of things that are prohibited. I don't think I need to labor the point. You'll not need to come to me for any clarification. You even shouldn't be asking questions, is it wrong, or is that wrong, or is this right? Really, these are some things that you have to learn to answer for yourself. But I would like the Holy Ghost right now to just blow across the room of your mind and for you to search. And with every head bowed and every eye closed in this room, I'm asking the Lord to enter the sealed chambers where no...